Hello, and welcome to Can Architecture Fix This? A podcast where we explore challenging design questions through stories and conversations with expert guests. I'm your host, Rebecca Schaeberg, coming to you from White Architecture Studio in Oslo, Norway. This season, we're bringing you stories about transformation. How can architecture, landscape architecture, and design in general contribute to positive change? This is, of course, a base intention with every project we take on, but how we deliver on those ambitions is often a surprising journey. Today, we're asking, can architecture fix education? We've invited Michael Speaks, Dean of the School of Architecture at Syracuse University, to share his thoughts about how architectural education and education in general is transforming. We hope you'll enjoy the story. Michael Speaks is Dean of the School of Architecture at Syracuse University. Previously, he was Dean of the College of Design at the University of Kentucky, and before that, Director of the Graduate Program and Founding Director of the Metropolitan Research and Design Postgraduate Program at the Southern California Institute of Architecture in Los Angeles. Speaks has also taught in the Graphic Design Department at the Yale School of Art and in the architecture programs at Harvard, Columbia, the University of Michigan, UCLA, the Art Center College of Design, the Berlaga Institute, and TU Delft in the Netherlands. And I'm not finished yet. Michael is founding editor of the cultural journal Polygraph, the former editor at Any in New York, and a former contributing editor for Architectural Record. Michael Speaks, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to have a conversation with you today about uh, about architecture, architecture education. And I also want to say some years ago, actually, I visited the uh, and gave a talk at the white uh, corporate offices in Stockholm. So yes. I'm a, a big fan uh, and I'm excited about the podcast. That's great. So reading the bio is like reading a list of the top design schools and institutions in the world. <laughs> is it fair to call you an academic? Uh, it's entirely fair to call me an academic. Um, I mean, I've been involved with education for my entire career. In fact, you know, I never really left school. I did an undergraduate degree, went to graduate school and started to to teach almost immediately after. So I don't know what else I would be uh, <laughs> other than other than an academic. Um, but, you know, that that's changed over time, what it means to be an academic and and what the institution of uh, of education was and is and what it will become. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's an exciting place to be in. It's an exciting time to, to, to be involved with, uh, with education. Oh, that's perfect. That's the right hat to put on as you so mm -hmm. often do, because we are going to be talking about how architectural education has been transforming and we're asking can architecture fix education, but I want to make it very clear. We do not think education is broken. And we have huge respect for the educators and the incredible challenges that every teacher has gone through, particularly during this pandemic. So uh, that said, education, like anything else, is under development. So let's talk about the rapid transformation of the architectural education. It seems that the pace at which these changes are occurring has been accelerating at a rather unprecedented rate, uh, not just due to the pandemic, but perhaps even more so because of it. And many of our listeners are not architects, so they may be interested to hear a little bit about how architectural schools construct their learning environments. So can we just take a minute to describe what the studio environment was pre-pandemic? 
uh, one thing I think to say about architecture school in general is that it's a it's an almost total complete um, environmental experience, which is to say, the 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 core of the education is centers around studio, mm. and studio is not only a kind of class; it's a kind of culture. Yeah. So students meet three days a week for about five hours to six hours at each of those meetings in a group of about 12 or 15 students mm -hmm. with a studio professor. Mm -hmm. And they have other courses that they meet during the week, but those, those the studio courses are kind of the centerpiece. Um, and in those courses, uh, students learn from the professor, of course, but they learn as much from each other. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very intensive, very fully immersive uh, uh, educational experience. And experience is the is the really the the key word there. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. Now that was pre-pandemic, the the group learning, and that, that's a very, very important part of the architectural education. That's also the thing that I took with me is that any project I'm doing, even if I'm kind of working alone, I'm not alone. I'm working together with my colleagues, whether they were my peers in the student studio or now in my in my studio here in Oslo, it is a collaborative process and that you have to, like you say, learn through experience in the studio culture. So now, or let's say the past two years when there's been a pandemic and group learning has been impossible, how has the studio culture continued? At our school, we ran everything uh, after the, from, we went online in March of 2020 mm -hmm. and we stayed online for the, for, the, for the rest of the semester, but the following fall, mm -hmm. we taught in person. Okay. Um, and we taught in person, especially for first and second year students, because we're a five-year program. The mm -hmm. first year and second year is very fundamental and very important. And that experience that you just mentioned of being in person and being with others is was really fundamental to that. Now, we did that with mask on. Mm -hmm. um, and and we did that with social distancing. Mm -hmm. So that's more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but uh, nonetheless, we so, so we, we really focused on on that kind of in-person experience in our school. Students use big printers and they print things out and they pin them up on the wall and people have discussions about them. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, we stopped doing that uh, because when students print out, they form queues <laughs> and they line up and we don't we didn't want people, you know, all together like that. Yeah, yeah. And we also didn't want students all gathering with professors in front of the penned up work to have a conversation. Right. So we moved to a platform called Concept Board. Okay. Um, it's an online um let's say platform where students can post their work, mm -hmm. professors can come in, review the work, draw on it, write on it, make comments. Mm -hmm. And this platform um, has was so important during this period and it added so many features to what we do that we will always use it. But there's so much that happens in a school like ours where we have 750 students and 600 at any one time in one building, mm -hmm. uh, all together, moving around, having serendipitous, uh, 
you know, encounters. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You can't do that online. You can't script that. Yeah. And so that kind of experience continues today and it continued continued for us even even through the through the pandemic. Um, but we are very much a global school of architecture. We're about 52, 55% international, even at the undergraduate level. Mm -hmm. So we have students from all over the world. We have a lot of students in China, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and we had 150 students during the pandemic who, for a variety of reasons, including visas, including uh, flight cancellations and difficulties in travel, couldn't return to Syracuse to continue their study. Yeah. We set up in-person studios in, in Beijing, Shanghai, and Shenzhen, mm -hmm. and, and taught in a completely new way. Mm -hmm. This is something that changed mm -hmm. in a completely new way, in a hybrid way that, that no one imagined we would ever do. Mm. And weirdly, their experience was more in person than the students in our building was because they didn't have on masks yeah. and they they didn't have to social distance. So yeah. we set up physical studios there and had online from here. Mm -hmm. And we and for one and a half, almost two years, we ran studio and all our other courses in person in China mm -hmm. um, until they were able to travel here. Yeah. And we learned an enormous amount for how online works and hybrid works and how and the advantages of of online and in person. And everyone thinks the the pandemic uh, created a situation where everything goes online and now everything is going to be online. Not true. Mm -hmm. Everything will be mixed. Everything mm -hmm. will be hybrid. Everything will work in a modality where some of it is online, some of it is in person, some of it is mixed. And that's just the future of education. Yeah. So it's not an either or. It's it's a both and. Take what's it's best for both. Absolutely not an either, either or. Yeah. All right. Then we can get specific now because you have identified five, and I think you've also written about these, five trends in the transformation of education. So let's go through those five. Uh, and let's just start with number one. What's your first trend? I would call them five features. Okay. Uh, and, and what they really are, are, let's say, I think these are, these are five areas, five trends um, in architecture education that will eventually transform all other education. Mm -hmm. So to preempt the, the, the show's title, um, I would say architecture education can solve education problems in general, in some, in total. Okay. Great. And the, these, are, <laughs> these are five things that we do in architecture schools that I believe every form of education will eventually get around to developing. So point one, architecture is the last true liberal arts education in the university. And what do I mean by that? Architectural education is the, is, the, is the last form of study that ranges across almost all of the disciplines that no other course of study does. So, what, so one thing I always tell our prospective students and parents is this. We are a top five school of architecture in the United States. 
So it stands to reason that we're a great school to come to if you want to study to be an architect, to practice as an architect. But we are also a great school, given the range of things that you study. Mm -hmm. um, uh, We are a great school to come to if you want to run a corporation, if you want to run a nonprofit, if you want to be a museum gallerist, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to work um, for an NGO. Um, If you want to start a business because of the range of experience and the kinds of training, there is almost nothing that you can't do. So this is an important uh, idea, which is this broad education that ranges from creativity all the way to science, technology, engineering and mathematics. This is a trend, I think, that all forms of education are beginning are going to begin to pay more attention to and to conform to. Um, so that's that's number one. Shall I that's shall I shall I shall I go through my numbers here? <laughs> yes, let's go on to number two. What's number two? I'll go to, okay, that was one. So so number number two, um, prototype thinking. Uh-huh, yep. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, um, when you take an architecture studio, you're given a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the professor gives the students a problem, and then the the, the students are encouraged to offer solutions to that problem. And that problem always comes with constraints. And the student will offer a solution. And then the professor will gather a group of other professors and students and talk about the solution Mm -hmm. and will suggest ways to revise and add to that solution. Mm -hmm. And so the students will make another version of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then they will make another version of it. And so iterative, yes. it's an it's an iterative process mm-hmm. where different um, participants add suggestions, critique and value along that iterative process. Mm-hmm. And so um, what you could say is that architects are never really designing for a solution, yeah. a single solution. They're always designing a prototype that gets adjusted and transformed and evolves. Um, And over time, uh, it it results in a solution. Why is is prototype thinking important? Many people think prototype thinking is the engine of innovation. Mm -hmm. It's the engine, and why is that? Because uh, uh, if you think of, Let's say there are two kinds of ways to think of problems. And prototyping, prototype thinking gives us a really fundamentally different way of, of answering problems that we that we develop in architecture and design than others do. One is problem solving. One way to think about a problem. So problem solving is if I give you a problem, or let's say you you're a client, you come to me, you give me a problem. Mm-hmm. Design this with these materials in these colors at this cost. Mm-hmm. So you give me that problem. If I simply offer you a solution to that problem, Mm. given the parameters that you have identified for me, all I've done is solve your problem. I've added nothing to the problem. Now, if I have expertise, which I've built up over time because I've built up a knowledge base, Mm -hmm. you come to me with that problem and you say, I would like you to design this at this cost with these materials and you give me the constraints. Mm -hmm. And with my expertise, I say, well, I think that's a great problem, but in fact, 
have you thought about this or you mm-hmm. should do it this way? Let me help you redefine the problem yep. because my expertise helps you to ask a better question. Mm-hmm. There's really only one solution to the problem if you give it to me and I give, you know, and I give you the answer. So mm-hmm. if I help you redefine the question or the problem, then I've added something to the problem you brought to me. Mm-hmm. And therefore I've added value in the solution that comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so point two is prototype thinking, prototype learning, prototype listening. Um, and that is really that iterative process is the driver of innovation. Why? Because innovation is the adding of new value to a question that's brought to the table. Exactly. If it's, Problem solving and innovation are two different things. Yes. And innovation is adding value. And you can only do that when you're open to listening. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that when you are engaged in this iterative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interested in the actual process of design, not the end goal of design. <laughs> Absolutely. Design is never about the thing at the end. The thing Mm -hmm. at the end is almost irrelevant. (laughs) What is more important is the process that moves you forward. I say I say it's irrelevant in the um, it's it's irrelevant to education. It's not irrelevant to those who are consuming the product or who are Mm -hmm. producing the product or selling the product. But for education, design thinking, iterative thinking is more important than any single design itself. Okay. That's a big one. That's That's number two. So that's point two. Yes. Uh, Point three is team-based learning. In design culture and in architecture education, what we see is that the studio professor starts out at the center of a group of 15 students and Mm -hmm. gives an assignment. But actually, the students learn more (laughs) from each other than they do from the professor. Um, They learn, of course, a lot from the professor. And the professor learns from the students as as this iterative process develops over over the course of a semester. Mm. So so team-based learning, um, and it's also the way students end up working in the world. No architect works alone. You always work on teams. Mm -hmm. So so team-based learning, team-based, let's say all, many of the projects are produced by a team. So Mm -hmm. learning how to work on a team, knowing how to play your role on a team, all those are important. But there's another piece of that, which is in architecture education, students learn in this team-based environment, but they present their work publicly. Mm-hmm. That Beowulf paper, I give you, mm-hmm. no other student sees it, you yeah. read it, you give it back to me. In architecture, you pin your work on the wall. Yes. You you publicly display your work, um, and then a group of critics sit around in a semicircle with other students and comment on it. Yes. And you learn during the course of that commentary, but so do all the other students. Yeah. So not only is it team-based learning among students, but the learning process itself is very public and open so that students who's, who are presenting their work and having their work commented on, mm-hmm. they're learning during that process, but so are all the other students gathered around. Yeah. So it's a very transparent, very open, very 
public and very group-based learning process yes. that that all architecture education is involved in. So that's that's number that's number three. That's a good one. All right, moving on to that's number a good four. One. Then that's a good one. <laughs> number, number four. Four is something that we that's always been the case, but I think we we know a lot more about it now. We pay a lot more attention to it, and it's even more important than ever. And that is learning, and especially in a school of architecture, is about total experiential learning. Okay. It's about the experience. So it's not just learning on knowledge base. Mm. It's learning um, by doing things. Mm -hmm. It's learning by being engaged. So we go out into the public. We discuss with clients. We discuss with groups. And we try to figure out what the city needs, what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, we see all forms of education now moving to this experience-based model. For example... I run a series, I'm running one tomorrow on Saturday. We continued these because they were so popular. Mm -hmm. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday, I take a group of students, they meet me downtown, we have a lunch on the roof of my building, and then we do a tour of Syracuse and we talk about buildings and we do a photography contest. Mm. And it, they're called bucket hat tours because I, I give them all the same kind of bucket hat. We design these bucket hats okay. and we all we all walk around in downtown Syracuse with cameras. Yeah. Now, what is that about? It's about the students feeling part of something, getting out in the world, mm -hmm. um, uh, being with each other. But it's also feeling part of something mm -hmm. and having an experience that is not only about learning content, but about being out in the world and doing things. So I did this all through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And and so so mental health, but also feeling like you belong to something is extremely important. Learning is a total experience. It's mm -hmm. not simply the acquisition and retention and use of knowledge. It's a complete experiential process that okay. includes knowledge, but doing things, learning by doing. It's all about feeling like you're part of something. Yeah, I, I can see you are very involved in creating the kind of community that you want people to to feel a part of. I am very involved in that, and I'm yes. I'm very much part of that community. Yes, yes. very good. Let's number, go on to number five. five. Mm -hmm. Number five. Number five is 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 um, it's related to the others, and I think it's something we see in other areas, but it's especially important to our school and to all education going forward. And that, and, and it's a, it's a kind of an assertion, a statement. Mm -hmm. um, and that is that all education is continuing education. Mm, okay. And what do I mean by that? Um, uh, it used to be that let's say you were studying to become an architect and you do your five-year degree, you get licensed, and you begin to design and practice in, your, in the world. Now, of course, the profession knows that you constantly need to update and learn new things. Yeah. And therefore, the profession, the American Institute of Architects in the United States and elsewhere, um, uh, has a thing called CEs, Continuing Education Credits. Well, that's a very insightful thing because what we now know is that whatever your degree whatever whatever training you've done it's 
it's not enough. It's mm-hmm. the starting point. It's yes. not the ending point. Yeah. And so, and so everything we do, so that so the five-year professional degree is a platform um, for continuous learning. Yeah. And and that will never end. Um, we now have to consider all education being part of that same continuum, even down to the smallest one hour, two hour, one day workshop, right? So how do we account for those? Um, And how do we credential those? Yes, we are doing those. So we're doing a series of professional workshops now. Now, these workshops we're doing and these badges we're doing won't count for school credit. Okay. So they're not part of school credit, but they are part of... um, enhancing your CV and showing that these things that you've done are not only new knowledge acquisition and new experiences, mm-hmm. but they are certified by and credentialed by the school. Mm-hmm. And so you see this happening. So we're going to see a lot of educational platforms developing this kind of credentialing system, okay. actually, including architecture firms, mm-hmm. including um, including large and small companies of who all of whom are are educating their uh, employees and the public constantly. Mm-hmm. So, so it's 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 a way of it's a way of acknowledging that learning occurs at a on a long duration, like in a PhD, and in a short duration, and accounting for those and giving credit and credential for those. Mm. is extremely important, not only for those who were involved in that educational experience, but for those who were who were considering hiring mm-hmm. um, and engaging with or collaborating with those with mm. those who have those credentials. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. OK, um, I'm going to recap these five trends then. And uh, yeah, let's just do that. So the first yes. trend was that <laughs> there is in the architectural education, there is a spectrum of learning. We learn things, we learn a lot of things about a lot of topics, maybe don't go into it as much depth in any one of those things, but we have that spectrum. The second one is prototype thinking, iterative process, that the process itself is the goal, not the end goal itself. Um, the third is that we work and we learn in teams and we have a public review of our work so that the learning of a, a particular topic is a group process. The fourth is that it's an experiential, um, immersive uh, experience, I guess we can say, and that it's it's about opening up our our eyes to the world around us through a, through a lens of design. And the fifth is that all education is continuing education, and that perhaps. Uh, because I mean, th- this is maybe another trend that's influencing this trend. It's that. Uh, you know, you used to be able to get an undergraduate degree and that was wonderful. And now you have to get a master's degree and that's just baseline. And then you have to get a PhD or you have, to, so these badges right. are a way of, of people showing that they have done, um, maybe are, are, are able to already indicate what particular space in design they're interested in because they have these badges and they have chosen, I like public speaking, so I'm going to do these things, or I like uh, environmental right. design, so I'm going to do these things. So it's a, it's a way of indicating your particular interest. That's right. It's a way of embellishing and filling out Mm. the platform that you've developed as your baseline degree. It's a way of embellishing that and and filling it out. Yeah. 
Okay, so these are the trends um, in architectural education, and you already alluded to the fact that you think maybe already this is happening, that these trends are going to start percolating into all other educational areas. Yes, so I would say um, that architecture education by, by virtue of its spectrum, its focus on prototyping, its experiential and public feature, and its embrace of constant lifelong learning mm -hmm. is the future of all education. Well, we have talked a whole lot about what has been changing. So I just wanna ask what, what if anything has not changed? What is the constant that you think is, is an architectural education staple? So I'm going to give a very paradoxical answer, which is that those five things that I outlined as trends are trends in education in general, and they are things that will be happening with greater frequency in other disciplines. But those five things are more or less constant in architecture and design culture. Um, we've been a liberal arts degree from the beginning. We have been engaged in prototype thinking from the beginning. Those five things I think have are constants. It's okay. just that everybody else is now catching on to how well those work. And so I think they're beginning to be adapted in other educational environments. Okay, I see. Well then, um, if the education of the architect um, has been going through this kind of constant evolution, Mm -hmm. which is the transformation is itself the constant. Um, I have to expect that uh, the way students, what, what students are expecting out of their education is starting to change and, uh, and what they want to do with their profession is also under constant development. So I would love to hear how students are, are feeling about what and, and how they want to practice architecture. Yes, well, there was a time when we would say architecture students, um, there are students who want to go out into the world and practice in a conventional way. Mm -hmm. And then there are students who want to find a non-conventional way to practice architecture. Mm -hmm. And what we know now is there is no such thing as conventional architectural practice. <laughs> no. No. The architectural practice itself is completely unconventional. If we were to go into our building this afternoon later today and, and just interview students, say, like, what is your aspiration? What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. They will say, well, look, I'm trained as an architect. Yes, I, I definitely want to design buildings, mm -hmm. but I also want to do um, a product line. Right. I also want to script um, a theatrical production. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I have a fashion line I'm designing. <laughs> and also I'm doing a couple of, of uh, documentary films. Yeah, and yeah, by yeah. the way, I'm really interested in graphic design. And so, so, so they want to do, and they do many, many, many things. Mm. Right now I'm, I'm, we're about, I'm working on a, and I'm writing a long essay for a, for an issue of a, of, a, of a Japanese journal called A Plus U that we're, we're doing a special issue um, with a colleague on uh, young emerging practices in China. <clears throat> okay. And one of the, one of the <clears throat> trends in China over the last, for young practices, over the last, um, I don't know, <clears throat> maybe 
five years has been now this this word will sound strange at first and I'll explain it. Okay. <laughs> Most young practices are interested in being slashers. Slashers. S-L-A-S-H-E-R-S. It's like, what? That sounds terrible. What are you yeah. talking about? Like slasher what films mean, from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What they mean is, I want to be a graphic designer, slash. Oh. Interior designer, slash. Okay, okay. Film producer, slash. Mm-hmm. Recording artist, slash. Uh, which is just a, a way of formalizing what I just described. I so, so, so it's that they're, they are literally interested in a whole range of things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they will likely settle into one or another thing but their ambitions are to do any and all of these the 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 model now for 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 young architects is 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 more to follow in the footsteps of the late uh, Virgil Abloh whom you may know yeah yeah um Virgil Abloh uh you know, was uh, as a black architect designer, tr- uh, uh, trained as an engineer and an architect, mm. um, but became the creative director of Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Has uh, had his own um, product line called Off White. Yes, I know um, that one. And you know that one, and was a was a was one of the most important DJs in the world. Was mm. collaborating with more people than you can imagine. Had a gigantic Instagram feed. Yeah. This is it's many of our students want to be Virgil Abloh now. They're not interested in being Frank Lloyd Wright or Frank Gehry or any kind of Frank. <laughs> they're interested in in. <laughs> They're interested in a much wider spectrum of design practice, a more inclusive model of practice, Mm. and a more collaborative model of practice. Well, then the last question is the way we're ending all the interviews. The name of the podcast is Can Architecture Fix This? Today, we've been talking about the transformation in architectural education and also education in general. Uh, I think we have covered this plenty of times over in the interview, but this is the last time to say it. Do you think architecture can help fix education? Again, not to say that it's broken, but that some of the lessons in the architectural studio in these five factors, trends can help improve some of the things that may be outdated or challenging in architecture. No, sorry, in education in general. Yes, I, I, I absolutely think architectural education not only can, but has already begun to transform the educational space. Mm -hmm. And I think over the next five or 10 years, we're going to see almost every form of discipline, every form of educational practice Mm -hmm. is going to begin to take up these five areas if they haven't already. Mm -hmm. And our hope is that they take them over so thoroughly that they become almost unrecognizable to us, that we want all education to be architecture education, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> we do believe it will. It, it, it has had and will continue to have a transform, transforming effect and for the good. Mm-hmm. Michael Speaks, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. It was great to be here and thanks for having me. Yes. And if people want to find more information about the school or your research or your articles, where could they go? Um, they can go to my LinkedIn profile. Uh, all you have to do is a Google search for Michael Speaks on LinkedIn. You will find me. I post probably three times a day. I posted wow. twice already today and it's it's only 6 a.m. here <laughs> in the U.S. 
Um, but we have a we have a, a school website. Uh, you, you just look up Syracuse University School of Architecture. You'll find us all there. I'm unavoidable on the web. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank okay. you again. All right. Thank you. That's the story this week. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to learn more about Michael Speaks or Syracuse University, you can find information online at soa.syr.edu. Can Architecture Fix This is produced by Ingjard Zenvang-Klevan and White Architecture Oslo. Sophia Benson is our managing director. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have a minute, please give us a rating, or even better, share us with a friend. You can find us on Instagram under the handle White Architecture Oslo, or visit our website at www.whitearchitecture.com. I'm Rebecca Sheberg, and this was Can Architecture Fix This? from White Architecture.